you pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there anything here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Well, like last time we were together, the religious leaders are trying to embarrass Jesus in public by asking him trick questions. Well, but today he's going to turn it around and ask them a question. Right, and it'll be a question so profound that they will not be able to answer and they won't try anymore. Let's find out today what that's all about on More More Than Than Ink. Well, good morning and welcome. We're so glad you're with us yeah. again. I'm Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And we are sitting here at our dining room table with our Bibles open and we're ready to talk about, uh, we're, we're working through Matthew chapter 22. And right, right. We are in the last couple of days of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. Yep. And we've been listening to him as he's telling parables and having uh, pointed conversations. And this is the point <laughs> at which it begins to be very pointed in well, confrontation yeah. with the religious leaders. And that's because for for about three years of Jesus' ministry, uh, he's been up in the north. And so there hasn't right. been a, a large concentration of the religious leaders who are opposed to him and who are hearing in a very alarming way that he's he's gathering a lot of public attention and admiration. And so, uh, so when he finally does come down to Jerusalem where all these guys live, and it's for the Passover celebration, you know, one of the three celebrations you have to come back, he's in close proximity to these guys. They get a good look at him, he gets a good look at them, and uh, we're in this process right now where they're trying to figure out how to take him down, how to how to get him out of this position of influential popularity because it's challenging their rule. And because even though they don't believe that he is Messiah, many of the people do. And they're asking that question because remember, right, just, just right. a couple of days before, he had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey and they to claimed, great acclaim. Yeah, yeah. And they were singing, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Very so messianic. There's this very great messianic expectation. Yeah, so that... The the leaders are in a they're in a tricky position because if they if they take Jesus out the wrong way, they'll cause such a huge outcry from the people that they'll also be ousted as well. I mean, and it could cause a riot and it could cause Rome to come in. I mean, with this kind of very powerful popularity, they've got to do it cleverly. So they figure, since they're the experts on the Bible, let's ask Jesus some trick questions that he cannot possibly answer well enough. He'll be embarrassed in public. People will be disillusioned with who he is. He'll prove himself to be the imposter that we think he is. And then things will just all quiet down and we'll just go back to normal life. So they're in the midst of asking hard questions. And we had just last week looked at the first question. So each each kind of religious political party has their shot. They got their, their good and shot. And last yeah. time we heard from the Herodians who asked him that question about taxes. Who do we pay right. taxes to? Right. And Jesus simply defused the entire conversation and turned yeah. it on its head, right. saying this is not about taxes at all. This is about who is God and who are you? Yeah, and in the <laughs> way that he's so... so uh, it seemingly easily does. He takes a trivial trick question 
and turns it in such a way to talk about something much more Mm -hmm. important. And he'll do that again today as we come into verse 23 of chapter 22. This time it's not the Pharisees or the Herodians. It's actually the guys that they disagree with a lot, but they're leaders, the Sadducees. They're they're a lesser number of guys, but they're the wealthy, the governing class. Um, and, uh, and nobody seemed to like them very no much. No one seemed to like them, yeah. <laughs> and they actually believed uh, theologically different things from the Pharisees. And one of the things they did not believe is that there is no afterlife. They say there is no afterlife after you die. And uh, and with that as a context, look at the trick question that they devised mm-hmm. to try and trip Christ. Well, and let, we should probably say that the Sadducees uh, probably just believed exclusively in the Pentateuch, the first five books. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there is no overt reference to no, life after not. death there's in not. those first five books of Moses. But that was their scriptures. And so right, they, right. they regarded the prophets and all the historical books afterwards as less important. And yet those ones that come after the Pentateuch actually do strongly right. talk they, about resurrection. They so that's, do. that's why they hold the position they do. Okay. So that, there's the setup. There's the setup. There's the question. Follow us in verse 23. Here's the Sadducees bringing out their best shot. Okay, so this it starts this same day. So right, right after the Herodians right. had their shot, the same day the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, down to the seventh, and after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, (laughs) whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Okay. Stop there. So let's just summarize what they said. They're saying that if this woman marries seven guys, because they in sequence die, and they're all brothers, and the brothers, it's kind of weird to us. It's a very unlikely hypothetical, right? right? They're really going out on a limb. But they're actually using, it's from Deuteronomy 25, it's called leverate marriage. And so you're supposed to do this. The brothers are supposed to do this. But that's not the question, whether that's right or wrong. The question is, if she marries seven guys (laughs) and she dies, then in the resurrection, which one is her husband? So they're presuming, number one, one, that there's marriage after death. Number two, they're presuming you can't have more than one spouse. And they're presuming that life there is just like life here. Right. You have to, you have to be married or well, there's, there's, and, it's going to be the same. And against their own beliefs, right. they're actually promoting that there's an afterlife, but they don't believe it. They don't believe in it. Fact, they're just setting up the question. In to, fact, a lot of people a lot of people think that this was, their, this was their best argument for why they believe that there is not life in resurrection, because this situation would be impossible to resolve. So, so there must not be a resurrection. That's yeah. A lot of people that, that think that just does not play well. This with, was, I mean, we just can't even make sense of that. I know. So anyway, so this is their question, and it's a it's it's not it's based on Deuteronomy. So here we go. Okay, but Jesus' answer is so interesting and so and actually quite confrontive. It's are very confrontive. Yeah, go ahead. Twenty nine. Yeah. But Jesus answered them, "You are wrong." Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. I love that. You are wrong. That is powerful. I I know, I know. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Yeah, so he answers directly about the woman with the many men. And, uh, and he says just really quite clearly, uh, well, he says you're just wrong. You're, you're wrong. Yeah, you are quite wrong. You are wrong because you don't you don't understand the scriptures 
and you don't understand the power of God. Well, now that's offensive. That's an offensive answer. It's in your face. You it's, don't understand the scriptures. Well, of course they understood the scriptures. It's, it's Jesus' way of saying you don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> but why would he say you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God? Well, I think that applies to the resurrection. Uh-huh. Because a lot of people would say, well, how can you live after you die? Your body rots and all that kind of stuff. Right. How is that possible? Well, the power of God can bring about resurrection. I think that was part of their problem with the resurrection was it just seemed it just seemed too big. It seemed too supernatural. It just can't be. So they, they neither really understand the scriptures nor do they really understand what God is capable of. Well, right. And they don't understand that the potential for living in a covenant relationship with God goes past the grave. Exactly. Yeah. So he's, you know, in in those two statements, neither the scriptures nor the power of God do you know about. He's basically saying in the power of God, God is able to raise you from the dead and in the scriptures and he will raise you from the dead. So that's that's just how he completely dispatches that and then says, look, in, in the resurrection, things are different. Things are just very different. They neither marry nor are given marriage, but they're like angels in heaven. So he speaks as someone who knows. Exactly. Right? Like, in the, been, like in the resurrection. I've been like, there. I've been there. I've seen right, this. Right. <laughs> right. And, that, and that, that right there shuts down what's supposed to be an impossible an impossible quandary. But then he decides we're not leaving it there. We need right. to go on to the fact that you guys don't believe in the resurrection because that's even more important. And then from 31, that's how he addresses that. And he talks about the fact that God said, I am the God of Mm -hmm. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's speaking in the present tense. So if God says that's who he is, then that means those guys in some way are actually alive. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the resurrection. Is Is he not God of the dead, but the living? He's not God of the dead, but the living. And so that, that's his point that basically squashes their entire denial of the resurrection of life after death is the fact that when God referred to himself, he referred to himself as the God of the living Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's clear that people listening in the crowd had never even thought about this. <laughs> right, they just knew right. they didn't have an answer for the Sadducees' position. Yeah, right, right? right. But they had never thought about the fact that God himself said to Moses, I am the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right. right? As if they're still here with me. Right, and he's not a God of the dead, but of the living. It's just really obvious. So here these guys come in thinking they have an impossible question to answer, and in the end, he posits this to them and completely turns the world upside down about what they believe about resurrection. Well, and he, he says, you know, it's not about your technicality, not about your legal technicality, it's about who is God. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Are well, we ready to go we on? need to push on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the best question from the Sadducees. Isn't yeah. that interesting? And Jesus it goes, instead of talking specifically about the resurrection from any other part of Scripture where it's stated more clearly, yeah. he deals with them on the basis of the, the parts that they do accept mm-hmm. right out of mm-hmm. Exodus, right? So Right, right. So he stays in the, the Torah. Right. Okay, we need to read on. Okay, 34. Okay. But when the Pharisees, so we're back to the other guys now, mm-hmm. the guys who do believe in the resurrection, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, <laughs> I like that a lot. They, gathered, they probably liked that yeah, a lot. Right. So they gathered together like they had a huddle, you see, in football. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So another test question. Here he goes, 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Oh, 
Okay. Well, that's a very complete answer. It's right. very concise. It's it, it yeah, it is. And it's uh um he asks him the trick question is what's the greatest commandment? Now, you can get in trouble picking commandments. Well, but <laughs> in Jewish thinking there's 600 and something of them. 614 I think or something it, like that. Yeah, and there was a great deal of conversation about how to observe them accurately and which were the most important ones. Yeah, they were right. graded in fact. There was lots of questions about that. <clears throat> so, depending on how you pick which is what you think is your favorite or biggest commandment, you can get a lot of trouble right here. So, this is another impossible question, you know, you just you just you can't pick one and, and win. So he doesn't pick one, but what he does, what he does do, is he picks basically what is the core of the law, the core of the law, and uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And and in another place, he says, well, he says it here, you know, these two commandments, everything is built on this. Everything grows from those. Right. In everything fact, follows. That's that's the core of the Ten Commandments as right. well. Right. You know? Roughly half of them are about how you treat man and half of them are how you deal with God. Well, and it all boils down to if we love God, then that carries with it a concrete responsibility to love the people he loves. Yeah, I think that's what's key. I think that's what's key. Which is interesting because that really is in the Pharisees' face since they were actively plotting already to take him out. Right. And Pharisees were very concerned with observing the law accurately. Yeah. Right. And yeah. observing the minutia of the law, right. lest they overlook anything that's important. Meticulously. Right. They would have long debates just to, trying to decide, well, if I do this, does that mean I do or I don't violate the Sabbath? Isn't it interesting Stuff that like they that. could even have a conversation about how to murder somebody and still claim to be observing <laughs> the law accurately? Yeah. It's just, how blind can you be? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I'll add, I'll add a little color to this as well. We always say this. You need to read the uh, parallel passages in the other mm-hmm. the other gospels. Mark's gospel actually comes into this with this guy showing up on the scene a little bit differently than it does here, and it and it says you don't in, think that's a different person asking a question. <clears throat> no, I don't think so. Okay, I don't think so because what happens is that is that while they regroup here, it says in thirty four that they're regrouping. In uh, in Mark's gospel, it says, uh, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked this question: Which commandment is the most you know is the most important? So it's as though the Pharisees pulled back into a huddle, and then this guy heard this stuff going on and decided to step up and give it a shot himself. So he may not be someone who is actually sent by the Pharisees. It's the guy who hears what's going on. And another part of the response in Mark's gospel that really lines up here well is his response to Jesus at the end of this. And he and he agrees with Jesus. He says, right. you know what? That's a good That's answer. Right. You've answered well. That's a good answer. And in all the other test questions, you don't get anyone like the Sadducees, you know, just recently when we're talking about the resurrection. They don't come back and say, you know, that's a really good point. I've never thought about that. But this guy here in Mark's account of it says, you know, I think you got something there, Jesus. And Jesus says back to him, you're not far from the kingdom, buddy. So it's a it's a fascinating interchange between these two. And it's it's a trick question, but it's a trick question that the guy actually learns from when you look at Mark's gospel. And it's one of the few cases where Mark's gospel gives us more information rather than less. Mark is usually very thin and skinny, doesn't give us all the information. So anyway, trick question mm. fails. But we do, we do actually get a huge insight into the law. And the, the issue is God's law is all about loving God and then loving the people that God loves. 
Well, and the passage that Jesus quotes is known as the Shema, right? Hear, the Greek Israel, Shema, right? Yeah. This is a this is a passage that they would recite to themselves every morning and night. And the instruction in Deuteronomy six was to talk about it when you're getting up, and talk about it at the end of the day, talk about Doing it when you're on the road, talk about stuff. it to your children. Right, right. It should be permeating all of life. And that love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. That's a statement of the whole person. Right. Everything right. about you is to be devoted to God. Why don't you tell people where to find it in the Old Testament? Okay, well, that's Shema. Deuteronomy 6, 5. Deuteronomy 6. And then yep. the uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself is is found in Leviticus nineteen eighteen, mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. an interesting context there that Jesus would pull that out. Yeah. Because yeah. in the surrounding verses, it says, you shall have no vengeance against your brother. Right, you shall right. not hold a grudge. You shall not hate in your heart right, your right. brother. Which is very interesting because, as I said before, here we have this. What they're doing the religious leaders <laughs> actively hating jesus yeah, actively looking yeah. for a way to take him out yeah so yeah i just find that fascinating yeah and then also i'm thinking about how often we kind of try to squirm out of our deepest obligation to love the lord our god by mm-hmm, focusing mm-hmm. on trivialities trivialities yeah and it makes me think too this gives you such a good working basis to look at the law like for instance we mentioned mm-hmm. a second ago that they would spend so much time talking about well you know can i do this and violate the sabbath and not right. violate the sabbath how far and if you just come back to these two questions you say well does does what i'm talking about how does that how does that serve the the intent of loving god with all of who i am or serving man with all Right. Who I am. And does that how does that work into that? These are really great working models. Right. In case you wonder what it is that God desires of us. He desires hearts that are like his. Well, he desires hearts like this, you know, people who love him and love his his people. It's an it's an easy way to actually capsulize the law. So although this guy asks him about what's the greatest commandment or the highest commandment or which one's on top in terms of priorities, which is really what he's asking, Jesus actually sort of says, I'll give you that, but I'll give you what the core of it is. Right. And not the what the highest. Yeah, what the yeah. Part of it is not the highest one. So that's how, again, Jesus has taken what is really kind of a trivial question and turned it into extraordinarily um, um, re- relevant responses to what we need to know well, about the and kingdom. and going right to the core of the issue. Yeah, yeah, he's really good at this. Turning this is just, if this just is a rhetorical exercise. This is where he's saying, well, while we're talking, let's talk about something really important. And again, that makes a good question to be asking ourselves, right? As I'm ruminating on how do I walk in a manner that honors God or how do I obey God? Am I, is my motivation to love the Lord God more with all of who I am and to love the people he loves? Yeah, yeah. It all comes down to that. It's so easy if you just put it in that context. That's well, it's why not I, easy, but it is straightforward. No, but I mean, in terms of just <laughs> determining, just yeah. determining what to do. Yeah. You don't have to go into, well, if I turn on a light switch, is that violating the Sabbath? <laughs> well, and I mention that because... Because we know that. For most Orthodox Jews, it, it does violate the Sabbath to turn on a light switch. And we won't get into that. No, so no let's save that for let's another day. Let's push on. We've got another section here. Okay. It's fasc- fascinating section. So 41... While the Pharisees were gathered together, so Jesus recognizes they're all here. We're let's all here. Talk, let's, let's talk about let's something keep important. Going. Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, uh-huh. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet? If then David calls him Lord, 
how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Yeah, this is this is a sticky one. <laughs> okay, so he's quoting, he's asking him a question from Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Which is a very highly recognized messianic psalm. Yeah, yeah. And it, that's the first statement in the psalm. It's one of the most important messianic psalms. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. you know, <laughs> it doesn't come across in the English, but David, even when he wrote it, was using two different words for Lord. Mm-hmm. And the Lord said to my Lord, right? Mm-hmm. The first one, and this is just for you Bible students. If you look at Psalm 110, anytime you see Lord or God in all capital letters, this is an editorial thing that was agreed on a long time ago, that represents the the personal name of God. We mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. say Jehovah. We more commonly these days say Yahweh. Yahweh but yeah. it, it's that, what they call the tetragrammaton, right? There was just four <laughs> letters that indicate the personal name of God, the I am. Right. So that's the first one that David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, the word he uses there is Adon or my master. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's clearly mm-hmm. talking about two different right, right. personalities. And Adon is actually the root of Adonai. Right. Right. Which is another name that's used for God. Master or most high. Yeah. So Jesus says, you know, well, who's he talking about? And how can David call this master his son? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> what is he after, do you think? Well, and clearly that sit at my right hand until I put my, your enemies under my feet, it's a, it's a profound statement of authority and power, right. of sovereignty. Of victory. So this really is, this is kingly from right. a divine perspective. Right. Yeah, so there's just no doubting that. So they had always says, well, the, the Messiah is the son of David. Well, okay. There's nothing wrong with that, actually. No, that's actually true. That's actually true. From a genetic point of view. Yeah, right. But and, there's more to it. And Jesus genetically, you know, biologically is from Descended David. Descended from David, So yeah. we, we can check that box without a problem at all. But but how is it that, that his son is my Lord, the Lord says to my Lord? Said, I mean, what is... What is that all about? Well, and there's a hint. I, I wonder if Jesus is alluding to the entire psalm because there's a hint farther down in the oh, psalm yeah, exactly. of this Messiah person is going to be so much more than mm-hmm. just a worldly king or just a, a political king. Because verse 4 of Psalm 110 says, The Lord, and that's uh, Yahweh, that's all caps, has sworn and will not change his mind, thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, now we're talking about this one that David has said, my master, God is calling him a priest and a priest forever. Well, David was not from a priestly house. The priestly line did not descend from David. So we're clearly talking about somebody who has a different (laughs) set of credentials than David had. So, uh, So Bible students... Look up Melchizedek. Look up Melchizedek. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why Psalm 110 is such a pivotal it's a puzzle. Uh, it's a it's a it's a pivotal psalm about the Messiah, especially when you introduce Melchizedek. But if, for simplicity's sake, what you can say both here and there is that is that the passage strongly states that the Messiah is both simultaneously man and God. Very much. And that's that's what it's saying. And so that's why when when Jesus quotes it here, he says. 
you know, have you put that together yet? How, how can David call his offspring Lord? David's the Lord of all the offspring that come after him. He's older than them. So, so that's clearly, that's the bottom line. That's the plot spoiler. If you look at Psalm 110 and even you look here and, and in that particular case, they had never really thought about the fact that the Messiah who was to come was, he was going to be a powerful man and he was going to be a man who had a special, I don't know, special something from God so that he could banish all the enemies and stuff. But had they ever thought about the fact that he might be God himself? Well, it's possible that they had thought about that and then rejected it yeah, because it was right. just so far outside of their normal understanding right. of, of who God is. But the only way that you can rectify this language in Psalm 110 is if they're both true. Right. And that's that's what he's trying to get at right here. How If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer. They had never thought about this before. And here, in fact, what's really great about that, here is the the man, the God, the divine God-man himself in front of them, asking them about his own identity as he stands right in front of them. Have you, ever, have you put this together yet? Here I am. Well, you know, essentially that harkens back to earlier in the book when he said to Peter, you know, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I right? am? Right, and Peter's right. answer was, you're, you're the guy. You're the Lord, you're the Christ, you are the Messiah. Right. But even he at that point did not have any idea about him being literally God yeah. in the flesh. Right, right. And it, it took some time for people to actually get around to this. But when you read the, the writings of the apostles later on, the epistles they write and stuff, well, they, there's no doubt in their mind. Just no well, doubt. after the resurrection, yeah, right? Even right. When, when he shows himself and Thomas falls to his knees and says, oh, mm-hmm. my Lord and my God. And my God, yeah. I mean, everything seems to switch in the narrative about the apostles at the point of the cross, mm-hmm. the, the cross and the resurrection. resurrection. And everything just just switches all of a sudden, which would make sense because if you saw this guy who you love die and then come back from the dead, and then you think, gosh, all the stuff he said is probably true. <laughs> yeah, so he's not just a human miracle worker. Exactly, exactly. Or just a very charismatic leader or something like that. They, they are convinced of so much more. Well, we are almost out of time again. <laughs> Next time, when we push on, we'll still be in chapter 23. Next time, um, Jesus is going to go on the offensive with the Pharisees. I mean, he's really going to, he's been doing a lot here. He, they've been playing ping pong or a tennis match as they lob stuff at him, and he lobs back even more important questions. But he's going to really, he's really going to go after him next time and talk about how far short they fall in terms of being the under shepherds of God's uh, sheep. Israel, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a really it's really famous section. So we're, we're going to split that uh, split it into two sections next time. We'll get the first half of it next time. But Jesus, you know, we talked about the fact in this passage he was very straightforward, very bold, very in their face. And you think, boy, you can't get more in the face than that. Well, He's he gonna. will. <laughs> but here he gave them their best shot. Right? That's right. He gave them every That's opportunity. Right. Yeah. So boy, our time is just gone. Yeah. Yeah. So read ahead. It's uh, the section coming up is called the Seven Woes, and uh, we're going to hear what ha- what Jesus has to say to the religious leaders who are failing in colossal ways. Not the least of which is because they don't recognize who he is. Mm-hmm. So I'm Jim, and I'm Dorothy, and come back with us next time on More, More Than, Than Ink. There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, MoreThanInc.org, and while you are there, take a moment to drop us a note. Remember, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink.
Oh, 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 okay. Okay. This has been a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City.